everyone. Welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I am so happy you are here with me today. I hope you've been having a great week. I am looking out my window right now at a bluebird day here in Southwest Colorado, and I am filled with gratitude. It has not been an easy year, an easy month, uh, and really even easy week but I feel extremely fortunate that I live in a place where I can get outside and get some fresh air. My husband and son and I have been skiing and mountain biking and uh, enjoying what what a warm winter in Colorado has to bring so far, I guess. <laughs> and uh, it's nice to not feel so, I don't know, pent up with uh, having this wide open space out here. And interestingly enough, as we've been out skiing and mountain biking, I'm seeing that my eight-year-old son, Jack, is probably going to be faster at me than everything here in the very near future. He is an unbelievable skier and mountain biker, and it's very exciting to watch his skills advance, especially because we have so much time to be able to get outside and enjoy being together as a family and, and getting some exercise and pushing ourselves and and, and teaching him these new skills. So anyway, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and, uh, and I hope that you're having the same sort of week and can get outside and enjoy fresh air and sunshine no matter where you are in the world. So I'm so excited to tee up my guest today, Andy Petranik. Andy uh, shares the same last name as me. My maiden name is Petranik. And I met Andy several years ago when I joined my first Whole Life Challenge, which is a social health game uh, that you do online. You, you, uh, you play for points for wellness. And when I saw that Andy was the founder and his last name was Petronic, I said, oh, I better reach out to him. So it turns out we're related. During this podcast interview was the first time that we had had a chance to actually talk to each other. And oh boy, we had fun. It is emotional and vulnerable and fascinating and insightful, this interview. And I really hope you enjoy it as much as I do. So let me tell you a little bit about Andy and then we'll get to it. So Andy is a life and leadership coach. He works with successful executives and leaders and entrepreneurs who are stuck, which I know we can all relate with that. Stuck in life, stuck in your body, stuck in your relationship, in a marriage, in a family, job, career, all those different things that we get stuck in and that we can, that cause us to lose, I don't know, satisfaction, joy, energy, confidence, passion, all those things that we used to feel, but maybe not so much once we get stuck. Well, that's what Andy does. As a leader himself, he has embraced change regularly, which you will hear all about in this podcast. Uh, in his life, he's been a musician, a U.S. Marine, a sales professional, a professional athlete, a personal trainer, a gym owner, and a global movement leader through CrossFit. He's been an entrepreneur, and he founded the Whole Life Challenge, which is the social health game that I mentioned earlier. So in this episode of Reflect Forward, Andy shares how his diverse experiences have shaped him as a coach and leader in his journey to create a life he loves, which I think we can all relate to. So hold tight and I'll be right back and you can meet Andy. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so excited for you to meet Andy. Andy, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for being here. It's really cool to connect with you, given that we're actually related. <laughs> I know, I know. This is 
so much fun and we're, we share so many similarities. So I'm really excited for this interview. So let's hop into it. Tell us about your, uh, tell us about yourself. Who are you and what do you do? Uh, well, my name is Andy Petronic and uh, I am a life and leadership coach. Um, I've been in the world of coaching. I mean, if I'm honest, really extends back to when I was in the Marine Corps. Like I was a Marine back in the early 90s. I was in the first Persian Gulf War, but I, it was my first real experience at being responsible for helping other people get to where they really needed to be or really wanted to be. And, uh, um, but I didn't know that that's where I was headed, you know, and then I got into the world of, um, I was a sales rep after the Marine Corps. And then I got into um, elite racing, adventure racing, these long distance eco challenge, raid galois, rat traveling around the world, sponsored by Red Bull, like crazy. And that led me into this world of, of health and fitness. And um, because people ask me, how'd you get in such good shape? And will you train me? And I'm like, uh, I guess I could, sure. <laughs> and, um, and then I opened up one of the first CrossFit gyms in the world in 2004, CrossFit Los Angeles. And uh, still going today, it's got a different name. It's called Oak Park, but I sold that in 2015. And I started a business, a company called The Whole Life Challenge in 2012, which is a online health and wellness game that uh, you play to see how much of a improvement you can make in your health, wellness, and well-being. And um, I'm no longer working on that directly. I'm still a partner, and um, um, but I've just gone back to my roots of like helping one person at a time. That's great. So that's how I got to know who you were. Uh, even though we're related, we never were connected. It was during my first uh, whole life challenge. Yeah. Gosh, probably, yeah, eight years ago, something like that. I think maybe it was your second or third one that you did, but that's how we wow. met. So yeah, 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 yeah. And then it was like, hey, I know you. You have the same last name as me. Right. <laughs> and which is, you know, it's not like we have a last name of Jones or Smith. No, no. Patronic is definitely a unique name for sure. Yeah. And I never knew any other Patronics growing up except for my immediate family. So it was really cool to get yeah. connected to. I didn't either, yeah, same here. A distant cousin, uh, very great, good. All right, well, we'll talk a little bit more about the whole life challenge in a little bit, but I wanna dive into your upbringing because I find it fascinating that you grew up in a family of classical musicians, especially considering uh, your choice of profession now. So uh, can you talk about what that was like and especially when you knew that you wanted to forge a different path? So, uh... I mean, the interesting thing is I never knew any other way. I didn't know the difference, right? So when I was wearing a, a tux and a suit at three years old and going to concerts, it was just part of my normal life. We would, we, my dad was a concert violist and a conductor, and he was well known in the state of Maryland for having started two uh, pretty like well-established orchestras. One is a uh, youth orchestra and one was a, an adult symphony orchestra and um, music educator and my mom was a concert viol violinist and um, you know so we had classical music playing in the house all the time like I didn't know any pop stuff until I got into high school and I started playing it on my own. Um, I didn't know that I didn't that I didn't want to be in music because I was doing so well at it I, I was like really, really talented on playing the trumpet. And it came so easily to me. I didn't have to work that hard for it. Um, but I was kind of on this track 
And I, I think if I look back on, on, I, I don't think I could have made another decision because I didn't, I just wasn't aware enough of my own desires and inner, you know, it was like, of course, I'm going to be a trumpet player. Of course, I'm going to go play in a big symphony orchestra. Of course, you know, I got into Eastman School of Music, which is one of the, it's like the Juilliard of trumpet uh, because of the teachers. Um, I got in there in Northwestern, both schools. They, they only accept four trumpet players in the, wor in the world. Um, and, uh, and then I promptly, after about a year, I promptly quit. <laughs> so, so I figured out that like, this is not for me. Um, uh, although I didn't know what was for me. Yeah, that's great. I, I share similar stories. So I went to engineering school. My grandfather, who is your dad's brother, uh, was a mathematician, and my dad didn't go to school for math for mathematics, but is a brilliant mathematician. And so this whole path, I was you're gonna you know go to engineering school. That's what you're going to do. And um, I went to Colorado School of Mines, which is one of the best engineering schools in the country. And I got there, and I was like, oh my god, I hate this, and I am not going to be an engineer. Wow. But I'm also not going to quit. So like I persevered through engineering school while playing softball until I could figure out like, what the heck am I supposed to do with my life? But it was this very interesting shift of, um, this is my life and I'm going to live it. And it is not going to be doing what my, you know, that my whole trajectory has been. So mm -hmm. I get that. And my, my um, entry out of it was, or uh, exit out of it was a little tumultuous. <laughs> Made some pretty bad decisions afterwards. I was trying to figure out who I was, but um, but I, I share that of going like, wow, this is this is not what I want to do. And it's liberating and scary at the same time. Yeah, very much so. Like, I, I feel very grateful that I had the Marine Corps to, to kind of like guide me because that there, I had no choice. I, once I signed my contract, I was like committed for four years after college. I never had to think about what I wanted to do. I never had to, you know, there was no, I was just on a track. And um, I think that would have made it way, way, way harder. You know, had I had to be struggling with what, what am I going to do with my life, you know, after college? Yeah, I think that structure is probably something that I could have benefited from. <laughs> That's for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my life took a, a, a little bit of meandering, but it was good. I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today without the, the stupid decisions I made afterwards. So tell us a little bit about the. Should, the, I, interview, should I interview you now? And <laughs> so tell us about your. your <laughs> Oh God. Yeah, that's a, definitely an entire different podcast. So we'll save that one for a different day. Uh, so tell us about the, the Marine Corps. So what, like how, where did that, how did that really impact your new traje trajectory and yeah. what happened when you got out? It really gave me a uh, foundation in, um, in discipline, of course, um, in physicalness. Like there was a, there was a sense of manliness that I think I always felt I didn't have as a musician, like I felt like a little wimpy. Um, I was a band geek. And um, uh, so there was a big piece of me that I feel like it, it, it brought in. And, and as you know, as we talked about before, my dad wasn't a big factor in my life. He wasn't, wasn't around to kind, of, to kind of bring me into manhood. So the Marine Corps kind of filled that role for me, the, the military and the Marine Corps, my, my, naval, my naval officer instructors in college and then the Marines. Finding my way after the Marines was, um, I mean, you could say that, hell, you could say that I'm still doing that. Um, um, but I, you know, I fell into this 
outside sales job and I did really well with it. But I also fell into these, 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 these adventure sports, you know, and I started mountain biking and I started uh, rock climbing and mountaineering and, um, and then the eco challenge came along. Yeah, so I love this idea of um, your, you know, your, you subscribe to do really hard things. <laughs> so what is the hardest thing that you've ever done and what have you learned from it? Uh, well, getting married might have been that that could that ranks right up there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. I thought you were talking about running through a jungle for like 12 days and we have the eco challenge. But it also ended. You know, like it was 12 days or 10 days. That's really hard. But I've been married for 19 years. Like it's not ending and it's great. I love that it's not ending, but holy shit, that's been really hard. Um, from, from an athletic standpoint, probably um, uh, what's, what has been the hardest? Probably the, the I did the Raid Galois in Ecuador and um, the altitude, we were up at like, we went through jungle at 14,000 feet in Ecuador, which is really weird. It's cold, it's cold, but not cold. And it's, you're at this altitude, so you're not used to it when you're from sea level. And, uh, you know, breathing was really, really challenging and difficult. And then we climbed uh, Cotopaxi and, uh, you know, that's like a 19,000 foot vol volcano. And you're in a race doing this, like it's not fun. Um, and uh, I think right around that time, I started to realize, what am I doing? Like, this is, this should be fun. This should be amazing and cool. And like, I'm torturing myself up here. That was my last race. That was the last race I ever, the long expedition races. Cause I left, I left Ecuador and I went straight to Costa Rica where I was gonna do a mountain bike race uh, across the, across the country you so you go it's a 300 mile race you go from one side of costa rica to the other side of costa rica but i had like i don't know eight or nine days to to wait and so i whitewater kayaked like some rivers it was it was an amazing trip but then i had fun and so i got this whole new experience of of fun rather than misery and um i dialed back my racing to sh much shorter distances after that. So I think this is a really compelling story. Like the themes are here of a path and like, this isn't what I want. And then change directions, right? Marine Corps. Okay. This isn't what I want. I get into adventure racing. This isn't fun. This isn't what I want. So that's really, that that's a, a really interesting journey and, and insightful. Um, and I think something that really could resonate with a lot of people is like, you know, how do you, you know, how do you let yourself go through that evolution and be okay with like what I just did for the last 15 years, 10 years, five years, isn't what I want for the next five, 10, 15 years. Yeah. You know, so it's, what is that like for you? Something that, um, you know, when I do my work with my clients now, it, that's, that's definitely a big thing is the, the willingness to be curious, the willingness to let yourself say, I don't know. And, you know, because I think we build up in our lives, we build up this, well, I can only speak for myself. I've built up this desire to know, like, I want to be the guy that knows. <clears throat> and yet the pattern in my life has been, I move from a place of knowing to a place of unknowing. And it happens all the time. I'm, I'm like, I've been doing that as a pattern um, 
every four to eight years. Like I come up with some other thing. Like I get to a pinnacle, a place of really knowing my shit in some area. And then I go to, well, yeah, but what else do I not know? And huh? Oh, okay. I think I'll go down this route, this, this thing. And it, you know, on, on one hand, that's hard. Um, because you're, I never have allowed myself to get to this place of like ultimate mastery, like 20 years of adventure racing or 20 years of, I mean, when I did sales for four years, I was at the top of the game at the end of the, my route with that. And I could have continued in that, um, vein, but I didn't, I decided there was something else for me, you know? So, um, for me, that's been a really, um, it's kept things very fresh and very new and very exciting and scary also, but exciting. And um, one of my, one of the podcasts I've done, um, the interviewer knows me really, really well. And he's like, Andy, you know, one of the things that I know about you and from you is I see you as having mastery of beginner's mind. It's called Shoshin. And he's like, you, you just are able to put yourself in a situation where you might know a lot of things, but you also uh, show up with these, this fresh eyes approach and you, you're humble. You don't, you don't brag that, you know, you used to, you went to the CrossFit games and you competed in the CrossFit games and you just show up and you just do your thing. And, and you, 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 you know, you start, which is, I hadn't really never thought about that before, but I, that is what I do. That I, I put myself in this situation to be a, to be a, a learner, to always be learning something from people that may not even feel like they're qualified to teach me, you know, and I'm always learning something new. That's a really cool mindset to have. So on the flip side of that, it has to be your family that goes along with these, on these adventures with you. So how do they handle uh, this beginner's mind that you have and the impact that it has on them as they're going on this ride with you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> so I think when, uh, when Julia and I got married, she, I was this adventure racing guy. You know, she met me because we had, I'd started this camp um, with a couple of, of my friends. It was called Girl Teams. It was a camp. He had two daughters. So he wanted to create an environment for women to learn how the skills of adventure racing, mountain biking and kayaking and orienteering, like using a map and compass to find your way in the outdoors. And, um, and I partnered with him to build this camp. And she was one of the participants in the camp, like the third or fourth camp. And we eventually ended up dating like, I don't know, six months later, seven months later. And, um, so that's all she knew me as. And then I started personal training and I was working with, with individuals one-on-one -on -one. and each step of that process was challenging, but um, organic. Like I never took a leap that was so drastic that it would have cost me my home or would have left me destitute. Like I took these calculated risks and um, she, because she always worked, you know, and she's, you know, you could say is from a financial standpoint, way more successful than I've ever been. Um, you know, she's a pretty famous music supervisor. She puts music in movies and, 
um, like big movies. Like she, she did a star is born for God's sakes. She was texting with Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper and she had Justin Timberlake on speed dial for trolls. She did trolls. I mean like this crazy world, like what is this? Can I just come with you to work one day? Can I like a ride along? <laughs> um, but fortunately I didn't, she afforded me the opportunity to be able to be more ex exploratory and not have to fear like, you know, I wasn't mortgaging my home every time I made one of these jumps, which I'm, you know, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that. That's, that's not, that doesn't get lost on me. You know, it's not like everybody can make those kinds of decisions and just throw caution to the wind and leap, you know, like, it's nice to be able to do that, but you have to know like what is an appropriate leap, not, not just leap, because that's when you end up homeless under a bridge. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's good to have to know that you have a net when you leap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when, I, you know, when my son was born, that was another really big event um, because I knew I didn't want to be the dad that my dad was to me. And I was working six days a week, 12 hours a day, starting this gym. I'd been two years into the gym and I, I hired a guy who really shifted the way that I thought about running a, a, a gym as a business, not as a extension of being a personal trainer. And um, it led to like massive success with the gym. It, it also led me down a path of, that was more about, getting more people to do like because I was in the space of a low priced product you know like gym membership was I mean it wasn't a cheap gym gym membership it was $300 a month but you needed a lot of $300 a month members in order to make ends meet for to pay your trainers and your coaches and for me to make money and then when I did started doing the whole life challenge it was it was 39, 49 or $59. It was like, that, okay, we need thousands of people to make ends meet for that business. And it, it, pull, it really pulled me in a, in a direction that ended up not being so healthy for me because it was, I'm in a business of serving people and one person matters. And I lost, completely lost touch with, with that element of like, I'm like, well, if we don't get another thousand, then who cares, you know? And, it, and I, I just lost that humanity piece. And that's why the coaching has, for me, has been such a really, like a re-entry into my heart and into what really makes a difference for me inside and why I do this to begin with. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So tell us, so this is a good segue, um, uh, because I do want to talk about the, the, the whole life challenge, because I know that you started it to make a bigger impact. And I know that it did have a, uh, a negative, uh, a negative outcome in your own life. So talk a little bit about why you started it, what it is, why you started it, and, and go into a little bit more detail of, you know, when things started to go wrong, and, and what you did when you realized it. So the challenge was really something that I had been working on since I became a trainer. Like it was way before I ever knew it was going to be a challenge way before, um, you know, I was of the mindset with my clients that I wanted them to achieve great things in their life. In addition to what they were doing in the gym, like I didn't want the gym to be some separate piece 
that was it's no the the gym's included in the way you eat in the way you sleep in the way you show up in the world for your job in the way you put on your suit and your clothes like it all matters because it, it all affects your your ability to be successful in your life your mindset and your emotional fitness and I saw in the world of personal training way too many people who were basically like dog walkers. They would, they would, they would got, they would put their clients on a leash. They would guide them through the gym. They would say, okay, do 10 sets of this, 10 or 10 reps of this, 10 reps of this, 10. They'd never change. They, they would just come in and do their thing and basically leave. And um, so the challenge for me was how do I get what people are learning in the gym and how do I get them to start making better decisions in their life? And one of the ways I did that was by starting this physical challenge, which was called the Patronic Fitness Challenge. And it was a, like a decathlon-like event. And I put all my clients in it and said, okay, you got to pay 500 bucks and I'm going to give away four of the $500 as a prize money. So the prize pool was like four or $5,000. It was a big prize pool. And so they were all super excited. They were training for it. Their training sessions became training for the challenge. And so they had context. That was exactly what I wanted to have happen because I wanted people to start taking more responsibility in their life for the, the outcomes that they were, that they were generating. Not just, not just look at me like, what should I do next? No, you, you need to lead yourself in your life. And so when we had the idea, Michael is my, my, my co-founder, when we had the idea of, we were thinking about all these things, like you got sleep and you've got hydration and you've got food and you've got, you know, um, like well-being practices, you know, meditation and journaling and how do you incorporate that stuff? And he's like, well, why don't, what if we put it together with one of these challenges? And that's when the idea was born and it was powerful. I mean, it, it really upped my game and my, in my own life. And so the first five years of doing the challenge, I mean, I was all in every time we did it, you know, and the, the challenge was growing. We saw it making a difference in the lives of all the people that played and then all the people that played in gyms. We were partnering with gyms and they were bringing it in. And it really didn't ever, in terms of its effectiveness, go bad or turn bad. I just was headed down this road that I didn't even really see of... Um, I get sucked into social media and looking at followers and looking at like, what do I need to do to, to get more people to do this? And this isn't good enough. We need, instead of 10,000 people in a challenge, we needed 20,000. And then when we got to 20,000, we needed 25,000. And, and it, it, it became, I got caught up in the momentum and the, like this snowball. And um, it, it really, for me, it, it, it ha what happened in, in the beginning of 2019 was I, uh, we had our first drop in registration. We had never had, actually, that's not true. We did have a fall challenge where we had a drop, but um, this was significant. We had like a 50% drop off. And I tried a whole bunch of things to turn it around. Me and my, my co-founder were like co-CEOs, but I was really taking the lead in, in making these changes. I'm, I was driving it and pushing it and um, a lot of emotional decisions. I, I lost some people of our, on our team that were meaningful people to me along the way. And I started to go into, I never had a situation in my life before where no matter what I tried, didn't work. And I started having panic attacks. I started having anxiety that I'd never 
I, I knew about it. I, I mean, I have a degree in spiritual psychology. And so I know, and I've worked with people, a lot of people who've gone through this, but knowing it, knowing what it is, is completely different than being in it. And I always thought, oh, you could just, you know, suck it up, buttercup. You can, you know, let's go. And I couldn't do that. I mean, I could not. There was a point at which I was terrified to leave the house, you know, like just, it just, it was like a octopus that was, you know, stuck on me. I couldn't, I, I you know, like <laughs> so unknown and so, you know, life wrenching. And uh, it took me till like the beginning of 2020 to come out of that. And when I, when I did just realize that I did not have the same fire to go back into a world where I was focused on how many more people could I get to do this. I, I wanted to make a difference. Like one person mattered. And, and I mean, that period of pain, I got a new, I, I got a completely new experience of what life was like for my mom. Like as a, I, I get choked up actually thinking about it. Like as a single, as a, as a, she wasn't a single parent, but as an alone parent, raising two kids as a school teacher, making life so perfect for me that I never even knew anything was bad. She didn't know where we were going to live. We were on the, we weren't really on the run, but we lived in a basement of a neighbor's house for three months. And we lived in a farmhouse and because she needed to get away from my dad and just this new connection of my heart to my, to my mom. I mean, even if that was the only thing that I got from it, it was just huge for me. And um, I felt like I, I regained a piece of like humanity in me. And um, it, it became clear that it, I just wasn't serving the world or myself by continuing in this same way with the, with the challenge. And once I realized that, it was like, I got to go. Yeah. I got I, I to go. And yeah. um, I didn't, this was the first going that was way riskier, I felt, than any of the other goings. Because I didn't, I didn't have an established clientele. I didn't. You know, I work with people, like I said, this through my spiritual psychology degree and I've been coaching people for 25 years. So it's not like I had no experience, but to create a new business around, that's a completely different story. I'm still, you know, it's probably going to take a few years to really build that. It's still, it's not easy today, even today, but yeah. That is an amazing story. And I think it will resonate with so many leaders because it's hard when you put all of your passion, blood, sweat, tears into something to not have the work you do be tied to your self-worth. And it's such a dangerous path for us to go through because we are not, we are not our work. Um, right. But when it takes over like that, it's, uh, it, it can be some amazing things can happen, but it can be very damaging as well. And and I think that's a, a, a something that we all have to watch out for is when you start tying your self-worth to, you know, your job, your success, you know, your followership, um, it can take you to a really dark place fast. And I appreciate you sharing that story because I, I think a lot of us can go there, no doubt. I, it's funny, you know, like, as I think about it, I, I had no idea it was even happening. Yeah. I had no idea it was until it was, until it was like, nothing I did worked, nothing I could do was, and then all of a sudden it was like, 
boom. Like it was like, I, it was funny. I, the, the analogy that I, I have for it is like, I was walking, I was like walking along in my life, happy-go-lucky 52 years of like, literally like no experience. What's anxiety? What is, I don't even know what that is. And suddenly, well, while I'm walking along, then I look down and I noticed, oh, I'm on like a boardwalk, like planks, right? And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And, but I was kind of in a fog, like not really knowing um, where I was going, but I could just see that I was on planks. And then I, then all of a sudden this fog got blown away. And I realized that I was on a bridge, a suspension bridge without any handrails or anything else, a couple miles long and over like a 10,000 foot chasm. And I, that was the fear that, that like, that was exactly what, and it, and I didn't see it. I didn't see it until it, till it occurred. So it, it, if, if you have a sense of that, that's happening and like, like pay attention, pay attention to that and talk to someone, find someone, find a coach, find a therapist, find your spouse, um, somebody, because it, it will, it, look, my experience is it leads to tough times. Yeah. Um, yeah. it might not for everybody, but it, it certainly, it certainly can. Yeah, well, I think that's the power of always searching for your blind spots. And it's so hard because, well, they're blind spots, right? <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> but, right. you know, I think I think this is a really powerful message because if we do go through just pushing, pushing, pushing and never stopping to reflect, right? That's part of the whole purpose of this podcast is the idea right. of reflect forward. If we don't take that time, the next thing you know, you are in a bad spot and you don't know how you got there. Right. And undoing that can be incredibly difficult. So yeah, you have to change your whole entire life, your whole entire approach. So I can imagine that was a, a, a very challenging year for you. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So, so one of the things that, that you talk about in some of your other podcasts and that's on your bio, you talk about resolve and willpower. Um, and so, you know, when you're in that moment of, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life after this. I just know that I can't keep doing what I'm doing. Um, you know, how did willpower and resolve play into how you got yourself out of it? There was a point at which when I was saying before that I was afraid to leave the house that I um, we were, we were going to take a two week trip down to the East coast. My son plays baseball and we were going to Cooperstown, which was a big event for baseball players. And, um, there was like two weeks before the trip. And I looked at Julian, I'm like, honey, I don't know if I can go. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I can't, I can't picture being able to even leave the house right now. And, um, I don't really know where, I'm sure I read about this somewhere or heard about it somewhere, but I, I just decided that um, although I couldn't picture what even the next day was gonna, gonna hold, I could chunk down time into like 15 minute blocks. And I could say, okay, I might not be able to do the next 12 hours, but I can do the next 15 minutes. So what am I gonna do for the next 15 minutes? Oh, okay, I'm gonna call Uber. Okay, I can do that. And then what am I going to do for the next? Oh, I'm going to get the bags downstairs. Okay, I can do that. And then, okay, don't worry about what's next after that. Like, don't worry about the fear of pulling up at the airport or any. What's next? Get into the Uber. <laughs> okay, I can do that. I can. It's now. Oh, you know where? That's so funny. The movie that just popped into my head was um, uh, Bill Murray plays a hilarious character in um, um, What About Bob that that he does they chunk it down into baby steps so i was i was basically like what about bob 
Um, and that totally worked. And I think that I had a commitment to my son that transcended my condition that made me say, you're going to do this and, and you got to come up with a strategy. And it was the, it was the desire to the, the, the unwavering commitment to showing up for my son. Um, I've never really thought of this before. <laughs> um, that got me to figure out a solution like, you know, and, um, and then, then it just, I've used that, you know, going forward since then, you know, it was like, okay, you don't know, but you can take another step and you can take another step and you don't, you're not stuck. I think that is such phenomenal advice for anybody, whether you're in the darkest moment of your life, which let's face it, there are, you know, millions of people who are right there right now or just stuck in, what do I do next? And chunking it down is, is such a powerful tool and tying that to something that's bigger than bigger than yourself, right? So I'm doing this for my son. It always is such um, a motivational, um, you know, have a mind trick of like, this is not about me. This is about somebody else and how I chunk it down. So I do that. I get, um, I, uh, I don't get, I get overwhelmed by the sheer amount of things that I decide that I'm going to do. Right? Like I have this like, yep, yep. like unrelenting drive to achieve and make an impact and do more. And then all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my God, I have all of these things that I'm going to do and how do I get it done? And my coach, my executive coach has helped me with this whole idea of micro achievements. And so it's like, break it down. These are the, the things that I'm going to get done, you know, today and this week. And it's amazing how that can pull you through those little like moments of panic of, I just have to get these three things done. And if I do that, Hey, that's what success looks like. And so, you know, I think it's such a great, a great example of a way to get through any challenging moment, whether it's. I'm feeling overwhelmed by my work to, I am, you know, having panic attacks and anxious uh, and afraid to leave the house. Here's what I can do if I break it down to small steps. So I think that's a really powerful story. Yeah, thank and you. And trick, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's weird because what serves others ultimately serves you. Totally. But, but it's a trick, it's a, it's a mind trick, you're right. Cause you, you get out of your own way and then you realize, wow, like I can't imagine having missed that trip. Like that ultimately was powerful for me and my, my commitment to myself, but, but it was because of my commitment to him that I was willing to go do it. Yeah. I, and I think that, I mean, that is the essence of being human, right? It is about ourselves and the connections that we have with other people. And so what seems like might be self-serving and impactful to another person can be beautiful or what can seem like a completely selfless, selfless act for another person has profound personal um, ramifications too. And so if we embrace that, that giving, actually we get more. And right. sometimes when you put yourself first, um, it can mean that you have the ability to give more. And right. I think a lot of us just don't, don't necessarily have the insight to see it that way. There's a, there's a lot of forgetting that if you're, if you're not well-fed and taken care of, you're not serving your family. You're not, you're not actually doing for your family what you need to be doing to show up as your best self. And a lot of people like completely forget that. They yeah. just 
they, they go out, they're like, I got to pay the bills. I've got to, you know, get all these, I got a to-do list. It's 3000 miles long and nowhere on the to-do list is anything about them. And, um, you know, it's the old, put the oxygen mask, mask over your mouth first from the, in the airplane. If you remember what it's like to fly, any of you who haven't been flying. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you got to do that. Like that's, that's part of the oxygen. That's the survival system of you. Yep. important. Yeah, I think this is, this is something that's very profound to me because um, it's something I had to learn how to do uh, a long time ago was to be able to take care of myself and, and that self-care is a discipline, right? Not a luxury. And how, what I realize now is that like, I, I do take care of myself. I make sure that I exercise. I make sure I eat well. I get a massage every week because it's how I manage my stress. And I show up so much more effective in my marriage and um, as a mother and as a CEO, and it really seems counterintuitive that if you really do take care of yourself, you can give so much more. And I feel like I am a, I am trying to be a role model for my employees and for my son and for my husband, for my, you know, for, for all the people I care about as it is not a selfless act to say, I need a little bit of time to make sure that I'm healthy, spiritually, physically, all of it together, the holistic piece of it, because I can give you so much more when I'm showing up as the best version of myself. And I think women particularly fall into this trap of, I have to give myself to my children first. I have to give myself to my family first. And then I have work or whatever it is that our, we feel our responsibilities are for, and we lose ourselves. And so I think it's a really profound message that it's okay to say, I'm going to take care of myself and make sure that I get to a good place because I will be better for you when I'm there. It's, you know, I think one of the things I loved about being a trainer and, and opening and being in a gym is the gym is such a great proving ground for this stuff. Like yeah. if, if you just picture, if you just picture a sports team, like imagine one of the players on the sports team showing up, having a bender, going on a bender, not sleeping. They're, they're an NFL player and they show up for the game and they've got two hours of sleep. They haven't eaten well. They're, you know, they are not able to actually do the service to their teammates that they need to be able to do in order to be, they have to be their best so that their team can be their best. And the same applies to your family. The same applies to your company. The same, you have to take care of the, of the, of the host. You're the host. You've got to take care of the host. I love that. I've never, no one has ever put it that way, but it is so true, right? If you are part of a team, whether that's the team of the family, team at your, your work, anywhere, you have to perform at your very best. And you can only do that if you are taking care of yourself. I love that. That's such a great takeaway. <laughs> Uh, I do want to talk, I do want to explore this, this father thing for a moment, because you've mentioned it a couple of times with um, not having a great relationship or any really relationship with your dad. Um, and, you know, we come from the same uh, uh, lineage, <laughs> patriarchal lineage. Fortunately or unfortunately. <laughs> I, have a, I have a tumultuous relationship with my father as well, uh, who is a patronic. And I'm really curious as to, you know, how the seeking his approval um, has shaped you as a leader and as a father, because, you know, you saying like, I did this for my son, that's probably not something that you would have expected your dad to say. And I'm certainly not something that I would expect my dad to say. So how has that really shaped your life? It's funny. My perspective on this has changed. Um, you know, I went through a lot of years of, of just no desire to be connected to my father at all. You know, I was here, I was a 
top level trumpet player, I, I don't have one memory of my dad ever sitting down with me. And my dad taught band. My dad taught every instrument. He could play every instrument. He could teach every instrument. He, he conducted orchestras. He conducted bands. He was in, he was in World War II. Uh, he was in World War II and conducted the band at Walter Reed Hospital and was, you know, like, so he's experienced all these things. Like, I don't have one memory of him sitting down next to me and, and coaching me or helping me with any passage that I ever was working on on the trumpet, ever. Um, and uh, so I, I, I just, I don't, I didn't have any like hate for him, but he just wasn't a part of my thinking, you know? And I always questioned his ability to love me. Like, like if, if, like, how could he have loved me? Like, there's no way he loved me because look how he treated me. Look how he acted toward me. Look how he, you know, when we would play golf together, he did teach me how to play golf, which I'm grateful for. But um, uh, it was a competition. It was never, he encouraged me up to a point. And then when it got to the point where I could maybe hold my own with him, it, that was over. It was count every stroke. If you miss the ball, that counts as a stroke. If, the, if you had a slice into the water, that was a three stroke, you know, two stroke penalty, you know, like, and it became, I would come home in tears. Like, you know, I was in ninth grade, 10th grade, and um, this is when I was, you know, living with my mom and my dad would take me out for these golf outings and I would keep going back because I wanted to connect with my dad. I wanted this connection with him. And, um, but I realized, you know, later on through a lot of the work through that spiritual psychology program that I, that I did, um, you know, my dad struggled with his own demons and he was doing the best he could you know, as a, as a human being and the best he was trained to do it through his background. And just because he didn't show up for me in the way that I wanted him to show up didn't, doesn't mean he didn't love, he didn't love me, which was a, that was like a mind blowing revelation for me. Like you don't have to do anything to love someone else. You can treat them like shit and you could actually still love them which is like, it makes no sense on one hand. It's not the way I choose to live my life. I, I want my actions to speak for my emotions and my, and my, um, the way I feel on the inside. But my dad was, he was doing the best he could. And that, that, that was what he was equipped to do. And so there, there was a lot of healing inside of me after he passed away. Um, he also had a series of strokes before he died and, and he, he did shift. He, he, I think he, as he, as he saw his own humanity, he started to remember birthdays and he started to communicate more regularly, more often. So there was a, there was some resolution of at least some of this. Um, but, but I learned a lot more after he passed away. And um, fortunately that, you know, that still counts. It still counts. Absolutely. I remember when I real, had the same realization about my dad. Uh, it was actually, I was with him and we were in uh, Indianapolis. He had been working up there and I was at a trade show and he took me, I said, hey dad, why don't you come over and, and let's go to dinner? And we did. And he took me to this unbelievable restaurant in, you know, kind of on the outskirts of downtown Indianapolis. Phenomenal, like this, you know, 200 year old brick building. And we 
had a bottle of wine and, and we're talking and I said, dad, you know, I really have all these questions that I want to ask about, you know, who you are and what decisions you made when I was a kid. And, you know, he was like, I'm going to try to be as honest as I can. And I could see, and, you know, obviously I like asking questions. I love interviewing. I'm sure he felt like I was inter interrogating him, <laughs> but, you know, I saw all of a sudden I saw, I felt energetically, like his whole life was flashing before his eyes. And, and he looked at me and he said, that's enough. You know, I've had enough. Um, you know, I, I did, I'm doing the best that I can. And like, I felt his pain and realized like, it wasn't me. It wasn't my mom. It wasn't my brother. It wasn't any of that. It was about him and his journey and how he felt about himself and his relationship with his father, who of course is, you know, your father's brother and all of these things. And I finally had this realization like, oh shit, this is not about me. And it was the first place that I could really just be okay with him being the way that he was. And, you know, I wish that we had a better relationship than we do now. And I think that because I have a son and he's um, interested in, in Jack's life that has helped, mm -hmm. but boy, it was this huge sense of, um, I don't know, relief and, and freedom of going, this isn't actually about me. This is really about him. And yes, it impacts me, but it's a profound shift to be able to make. Yeah, it's a huge, yeah. You're, yeah. it's so, it's so uh, wonderful to that you've been able to have that, that I've been able to have that. Not everybody has that. You yeah. know? I mean, my wife's sister doesn't talk to anyone in the family. She doesn't, she's got two sisters and one of them won't talk with her mom, won't, didn't, didn't come to her dad's funeral, didn't, doesn't talk to us, doesn't talk to my son, doesn't, I mean, like she's still struggling with stuff, you know? And I don't know that even, I don't know that she even knows she's struggling with stuff. Like it's just the way she's created her life. And, well, uh, we, we're good at believing our own stories. That's for sure. <laughs> we keep telling them. We keep telling our, you know, like unless you have somebody that interrupts the story, yeah. you know, you're you're kind of screwed. But <laughs> you know, that's also the, the the most beautiful part about being human is that you know if we can interrupt that story, we have the power to change that story, right? We can make up. I mean, I don't want to say this like in you know the the days of fake news and like you know us not living in reality but we can create a different story for ourselves. And it really can be that simple. It's not easy, right. but it can be that simple of I'm choosing a different story. And in that moment with my dad, I chose a different story. I chose, right. this is not me. This is not my story. This is his story. And, uh, and it was profoundly freeing for me, but you know, you have to have it. I like that the way that you put that an interrupter of your story to help you, whatever that is um it's like it's like you need a, a person or a moment or a thing like happened with your dad to be like oh wait a second no. i never looked at it from that side before and yeah. you know you can do that with with some work you can do that in every story in your life because you, you all of the things that we do we're telling ourselves a story that makes it either okay or not okay yeah. and if something's not okay you can take that story that you're telling yourself, this isn't okay. Like, well, what if it was okay? Or how might it look if you were, if you, you know, how you, how you, if you walk down the block of your street, you see things one way and you turn around and you walk the other way and suddenly it's like, oh, I never noticed that before. Like, look at that. So like, what if you just turn, turn around and walk the other way? And how do you see it then that way? Yeah. And uh, hugely powerful because you, you, you get what you focus on. 
And if you're focused on negative and you're focused on why things are not working and you're focused on excuses and stories and you're going to get more of it. Yeah. You're going to create more of it. Yeah. We manifest it. That's for sure. Yeah. And, and that can be a scary thing. And I'm always careful when I say that because, um, you know, I think I've said it before. I said it to my husband once actually, <laughs> he was like, I was like, well, you know, you're manifesting this. He's like, so what you're just telling me like, I deserve this. <laughs> No, that's not, not what I said. <laughs> but well, we like saying those things to your spouse, like to my wife, like no, that's no. bad. That's tough. I know. Yeah, I know. I know. He can handle it better now. That was really young in our marriage, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it it really do. We really do manifest what we think, and we are our thoughts, and uh, and it's hard to wrap your head around that. But when you do, it can be a, a, a game changer. And I'm sure that's probably, probably, probably the reason why you're excited about going back and working with people one-on-one, right? Is that you can make this kind of impact. All the things that you've learned through yeah. your ups and downs on your journey, you can really help those people more on a one-on-one basis, make a much bigger change in their life um, yeah. through, through that. So I can imagine that's exciting for you as you start this next adventure. Yeah, because the, you know, the other piece that the Whole Life Challenge wasn't doing for me was it was really, there was a conversation that was confined to just health and fitness. Yeah. You know, that, that it wasn't, it didn't have to be confined, but it pretty much was because it was all about these, these seven daily habits. And uh, really the conversation that I when, I, when I go back and look, it's probably been five years that I've wanted to have these deeper, bigger, broader conversations with people that I was just confined into this one corner, one piece. And it's not that that piece isn't a big one. It's a big one, but there's other pieces too, you know? And, and um, I wanted to have that conversation with people for years and I just hadn't created the context for it until I was given the boot. <laughs> Yeah. Kind of like hit rock bottom, right? And then yeah. you're like, okay, there's this new way that I want to do things. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. All right. So this is going to segue and I've got two more questions to ask you uh, before okay. we wrap things up. So um, the name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. And so that has a, a very uh, profound meanings, multitude of meanings to me. And I'm curious, uh, what does Reflect Forward mean to you and how do you use it in your life? Well, it's interesting because um, I've never really heard those two words together before um, because they're, they're, for me, reflect is either present or past and forward is where am I going, you know? And, but I think it's a really nice combination um, because I want to, I want to, you know, part of the work that I do with when I get coached or when I'm coaching is to help someone see clearly where they are. And in order to see clearly where you are, you have to reflect. And so my job is to mirror, is to like hold up the mirror and say, okay, well, here's where you are. Here's where you've been. And there's a pretty good chance that if nothing changes, you're going to go the same direction and keep doing, keep creating that. Where do you want to go? And so the forward to me is the vision. We're, like things are here, you know, um, and things are going to keep going there if I don't change anything. So where where do I want to go? And then it gives you the opportunity to um, set your sights on something that touches, moves, and inspires you. Yep, I so love I love that. those two. Those two things are really cool. Thanks, and I love the human mirror part. I mean, the the some of the the most challenging times that I've I've had. Um, moments, I should say, it's when I have a human mirror 
uh, of someone just reflecting something back and it's like, oh, I want to get mad and upset. Like, and then it's like, oh, wow, you're just the mirror that's reflecting this back to me. And, um, and boy, I don't really like what I'm seeing. And so here's the changes that I'm going to make. So I love that. All right. So as we wrap up, what is your best piece of advice for those listening today who want to be exceptional at what they do? You know, I think it's really perfect. The name of this podcast, I think that's really the key thing is to be open to reflect and to see what truly is, what's happening. And if you don't like some, what you see, don't avoid looking, like keep looking, keep looking in the mirror, take your clothes off and look in the mirror. And if you don't like what you see, decide you're going to do something about it. And if you don't like, and, and if you don't do something about it, then look the next day until you're ready to do something about it. Don't, don't be afraid to look. It's, it's really the looking that creates that um, leverage. You need leverage over yourself to, to move into a place where you know you deserve to be, where you know you, there's, a higher, there's a higher level of you that you have in your head of the way you know you've always, the, the way you know you always should be it's waiting for you. You just have to have the courage to step into it. And in order to do that, you have to be willing to look and to reflect and to see what you see, even if you don't like it. Yep. So breaking down the small actionable steps and make it happen. <laughs> be like Bob. And what about Bob? <laughs> I love it. It's so beautiful. I totally agree. You cannot become the best version of yourself if you are not willing to look in the mirror and make the changes that you need to make to get there or learn how to love yourself for the ones that you're not willing to make. Right. Um, you know, I think it's really powerful advice. That's awesome. Oh, so much fun. All right. So where can people find you? Um, AndyPetronic.com. I'm, I'm redoing a website. So that website right now is, doesn't even say that I coach. <laughs> so it's like, whatever. I'm also Andy Petronic on all social media. So I, I put more stuff out on, on that stuff, but um that's probably the that's easy. Andy, uh, Andy at andypetronic.com is my email address. So you can send me an email. Well, thank you so much. This has just been the most fun interview. And uh, and I hope everybody uh, enjoys it as much as I have. And I hope you've enjoyed. I've enjoyed it. <laughs> especially connecting with somebody that I feel like I have so much in common with. No. Uh, you know, my, my long lost relative. <laughs> I know. And you know, my mom's a school teacher too. Wow. Kids on their own. Yeah. I mean, we have like all these crazy parallels. No coincidences. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. All right. Well, we'll uh, wrap up. So everybody uh, hang tight and I'll be right back. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. It was very therapeutic for me. I hope it was enjoyable and insightful to you. Okay, on to my question. So it comes from a young lady who I had a conversation with this week. She had reached out to me a few months ago after I had done a YPO live event on cash management. I was a panelist and she had watched and she had asked for some mentorship. So she's a very bright young woman, is finishing up her master's degree in management at Georgetown University. And she'll be going back to Morocco uh, next year to work in her family business uh, with the plan of eventually taking it over. And she was sharing with me her concerns that 
she might not get chosen amongst her cousins uh, and other family members to lead uh, the, the segment of the business that she's most passionate about that also happens to be the most profitable and successful portion of the business as well. And she was wondering how she should handle it because she didn't think that she wanted to go work in another segment that she didn't have the passion for, uh, for and that maybe wasn't as successful as uh, this particular one. And so she asked me my opinion and how I would handle it. And I thought about it because, of course, I faced this very same thing 15, 14 years ago when I started with Stone Age. I had no idea uh, anything about the industrial cleaning industry. And I was not passionate about it. In fact, I expected my to be in something far more glamorous than industrial cleaning. I mean, I was going sewer tools. Like, what am I doing with my career? Uh, and I'm now very passionate about everything that we do. But it didn't start out that way. What I was passionate about was learning how to be a great leader and developing a great team and building a company and building followership and trust. And as I worked hard to develop myself, develop my team, develop my company, I realized that the industry, it doesn't really matter. What really matters is impact. And by making a big impact on the people you work with, uh, on your customers, creating value and helping them solve tough problems, helping your employees through tough times, helping them create success, giving them jobs that help them be able to build their dreams for their family is so incredibly rewarding. So my advice to her was don't get caught up on the industry. Don't get caught up on whether or not the products you sell and the industries you serve are in perfect alignment with your passions uh, because that will come with time. The very best leaders understand that building a strong team, building a strong culture, and building your own leadership skills is what brings joy and purpose and passion to what you do. So I really appreciated the question because I, I could completely understand where she came from, was coming from, and worrying about you know, is this, is this going to be an alignment with who I am and with what I want? And I also want to take over a really successful portion of the business. And I'll tell you, you know, it's, it's rewarding when you can take something that maybe is underperforming and turn it around. And when you can find that joy and purpose and passion inside of yourself, rather than looking from uh, external sources for it. So I thought it was a really fun story to share, and I thought it might perhaps provide you some um, guidance and insight in your area, in, light, in areas of your life where you might be looking uh, at external things for internal joy and passion. Look from within, build from within, make connections, impact the lives of the people around you, and your life will be so much better. With that, I will leave you. Until our next episode, have a wonderful and safe week. Thanks for listening.